This morning, as we continue with the book of Esther, we're going to consider Haman's death. Haman's death, Esther chapter 7, verses 5 through to 10. We'll read those verses in a short while. First of all, let's have a bit of a a, a recap. I'm very keen on these recaps because it's... I know people will miss weeks, but I really want everyone to follow everything in this book. So that's why I keep doing recaps. Last week we considered the wisdom that God had given Queen Esther... For example, in chapter 7 and verse 3, Esther said to King Ahasuerus, her husband, If I have found favour in thy sight, O king, and if it please the king, let my life be given me at my petition and my people at my request. Esther said those words at the second of two banquets that she had prepared for for the king and for his prime minister, Haman the Agagite, who had secured from the king an irreversible decree to kill all the Jews in the 127 provinces of the Medo-Persian Empire in less than a year's time. Not only did the queen identify herself as a Jew, but very wisely she pleaded for her own life before pleading for the lives of her fellow Jews. She pleaded for herself first. She wasn't thinking of herself more than anyone else. There was, a, there was, there was wisdom in that, what she said there. Even if the king had no concern whatsoever for the Jews and the death sentence that was hanging over them, he most certainly would have had a concern for his dear wife, whom he had promised no less than three times to give her whatever she requested, even up to half of his kingdom. Last week it was also seen that the Queen very wisely pointed out that the Jews were a greater financial asset to the King if they were kept alive, and not only kept alive, but kept free, rather than being killed or even kept as slaves. They were much better to the to the King as free people, because they were industrious people. So, all in all, as well as showing a godly wisdom, Esther also showed tremendous courage in that she could have presented to the king a case for keeping the Jews alive and free without first identifying herself as one of them, although that would not have been anywhere near as compelling uh, a petition to, to present before the king. Earlier on that day, Haman had suffered the humiliation of honouring the one whom he wanted to hang, Mordecai, who was a Jew, and also Mordecai was the adoptive father of Queen Esther. Haman had been instructed by the king to dress Mordecai in royal robes to put the royal crown upon his head and to parade him through the streets of Shushan on the king's horse, declaring, Thus shall it be done unto the man whom the king delighteth to honour. How humiliating that was 
for Haman the Agagite, who hated the Jews and he hated Mordecai. However, now that Haman was attending the second banquet with the king, he may have just about begun to pick himself up after that public humiliation and he might have just convinced himself that his glory days were not over and that he was still the king's golden boy. However, never in a thousand years would Haman have guessed that Queen Esther, who had seemingly been so favourable to him in that she'd invited him to accompany the king to not just one banquet of wine, but to two banquets of wine on consecutive days, he would never have realised that she was herself a Jew and that she would be highly instrumental in his downfall and his destruction. Today we shall look at the response of King Ahasuerus to Queen Esther's plea for her life and for the lives of her people, the Jews. Now we'll have a look at uh, Esther, chapter 7, verses 5 through to 10. Then the king Ahasuerus answered and said unto Esther the queen, Who is he, and where is he, that durst presume in his heart to do so? And Esther said, The adversary and enemy is this wicked Haman. Then Haman was afraid before the king and the queen. And the king, arising from the banquet of wine in his wrath, went into the palace garden. And Haman stood up to make request for his life to Esther the queen, for he saw that there was evil determined against him by the king. Then the king returned out of the palace garden into the place of the banquet of wine, and Haman was fallen upon the bed whereon Esther was. Then said the king, Will he force the queen also before me in the house? As the word went out of king, the king's mouth, they covered Haman's face. And Harbona, one of the chamberlains, said before the king, Behold also the gallows fifty cubits high, which Haman had made for Mordecai, who had spoken good for the king, standeth in the house of Haman. Then the king said, Hang him thereon! So they hanged Haman on the gallows that he had prepared for Mordecai. Then was the king's wrath pacified. It's a fantastic passage, that is. In verse 5, King Ahasuerus was keen to know who it was who had presumed in his heart to kill his beloved queen and to cause him financial loss with the death of the Jews. Again, can you see how clever Esther had been with her choice of words in her petition to the king, pleading first for herself and then pleading for the Jews, saying that they are better to the king kept alive. Esther named Haman as the enemy and the adversary. Note, it would seem that she even stirred up the king's emotions a little bit more by describing Haman as wicked. We're told in verse 6 that Haman was afraid before the king and the queen. I should imagine his knees were knocking as he rued the day that he ever hatched a plot 
to destroy Mordecai and all the other Jews. In his wrath, the king arose from the banquet of wine and he left the room. One might reasonably say that it was not looking good for Haman, who presumably knew that the king was in no mood to hear his grovelling pleas for clemency. Instead, he fell upon the couch where Esther reclined in order to grovel and seek mercy from her for himself, no doubt in the hope that she would intercede on his behalf to the king. Haman had gone to that banquet of wine saying absolutely nothing until it was all too late. Only when he saw the king determined evil against him did he start groveling and pleading for his life. And even then he showed no remorse for his vendetta against Mordecai and all the other Jews. King Ahasuerus returned to the banquet room only to find Haman on his wife's couch. And he said, Will he force the queen also before me in the house? The king can't possibly have imagined that Haman had chosen such a time to make amorous advances on the queen or to assault her in some way. Also, Haman had not been alone in that room with the queen. There was at least one of the king's chamberlains in there. Therefore, even though Haman was doing nothing more than pleading for his life, it would seem that the king, who by that time had well and truly had enough of Haman, chose to put the worst possible construction on what he saw when he walked in and he saw Haman falling on the queen's couch. At that point in time, Haman's death warrant was as good as signed by the king and sealed with the king's ring. In verse 9, we have Harbona, who was one of the king's chamberlains and had no doubt previously bowed down before Haman and moved out of his way on many occasions as he waited on him hand and foot. But now, with Haman condemned and his face covered, things were very different. Harbona kindly informed the king that Haman had had gallows made at his home to hang Mordecai. He was really stirring it up there, wasn't he, Harbona? It seems that to me anyway. What an opportunity to, to, for a bit of payback, perhaps. Telling the king at that time that those gallows um, were made, that, that Haman had made gallows to hang Mordecai on at his home. And Mordecai, being the one that the king had only just honoured after learning that he had foiled a plot to kill him some five years earlier. The timing couldn't have been better or the timing couldn't have been worse for Haman. It's interesting to note that back in chapter 6 and verse 12, Haman covered his head and went to his house mourning because he had suffered the humiliation of publicly parading an exalted Mordecai in the streets. And now in chapter 7 and verse 8, other people cover his face before taking him to his home to hang him on the gallows that he had made for Mordecai. 
There was no more to be said. Haman was duly taken away and hanged on those gallows by order of King Ahasuerus, whose heart was in the hand of the Lord. I I trust you can see that the Lord was moving events all the way through this book. And like the rivers of water, the king's heart was being turned wherever the Lord willed. In conclusion, back in chapter 6 and verse 13, Haman's wise men and his wife, Zeresh, had said to him, If Mordecai be of the seed of the Jews before thou hast begun to fall, thou shalt not prevail against him, but shalt surely fall before him. They said those words just before Haman went to the second banquet and we can see that to be the case in the very next verse in chapter 6 and verse 14. While they were yet talking with him came the king's chamberlains and hasted to bring Haman unto the banquet, the second banquet that Esther had prepared. So he'd only just been told that he's going to... Um, Haman had just been told by his wife and his wise men you're going to fall despite Haman having just been warned by his wife and others that he would fall he nevertheless carried on as normal and no doubt he looked forward to rubbing shoulders once again with King Ahasuerus and his wife Queen Esther at the second banquet even if what he had just heard and perhaps even his own conscience troubled him somewhat. And when Haman was at the banquet, his fate was well and truly sealed by the testimonies, not only of Queen Esther, but also of Harbona, the Queen's, the, the king's chamberlain. He was finished. By way of application, the time will come when each one of you will stand before God. For it is appointed unto men once to die, but then the judgment. When that time comes, if you have not been washed in the blood of Jesus, and if you are not clothed in the righteousness of the Lord Jesus Christ, all your sins will be laid bare and you will be condemned. Could this all have turned out better for Haman? had he perhaps attended the second banquet filled with remorse for what he had determined to do to Mordecai and all the other Jews, including Queen Esther. That's neither here nor there now, but something that would have been of infinitely and eternally greater benefit to Haman would have been for him to have had a godly sorrow and to have shown repentance towards God, which there is no indication of him doing in this passage. And that applies to all of us, for all have sinned, all have come short of the glory of God, and the wages of sin is death. Even so, God is merciful, and as it is written in 2 Corinthians chapter 7 and verse 10, Godly sorrow worketh repentance to salvation. Therefore, if you have not already done so, repent, 
trust in the Lord Jesus Christ, believing that he, having kept God's holy laws on your behalf, was wounded for your transgressions and that he was bruised for your iniquities when he carried away your sins in his body and he sacrificially laid down his life at the cross. Finally, we read at the end of verse 10 that then was the king's wrath pacified. The last words of chapter 7 there. Then was the king's wrath pacified. That was after Haman the Agagite was hanged. It has to be said that King Ahasuerus, whose wrath was pacified only after Haman was put to death, was every bit as wicked as Haman, and as has all and rather and he was anything but a righteous judge in this matter. After all, the decree that had been put together by Haman to destroy the Jews was written in the king's name and it was sealed with the king's ring. Unlike King Ahasuerus, Almighty God is without sin and he really is the righteous judge. And speaking of wrath, the wrath of God abides on all who have not the Son of God. In other words, the wrath of God abides on all who reject the Lord Jesus Christ. One way or another, the righteous anger of God will be pacified, either by you being cast into hellfire and to everlasting destruction, or else by you trusting in Jesus, who according to 1 John chapter 2 and verse 2, is the propitiation for our sins. In other words, for all who are trusting in Jesus, the wrath of God has been appeased by him, by Jesus, when he laid down his life as the only acceptable sacrifice for sin. There is no hiding place for your sin. If you are not trusting in Jesus, you can be sure that your sin will condemn you to hell. Therefore, don't carry on as if there's nothing wrong like Haman did when he went to that second banquet of wine. Come to Jesus as a repentant sinner. Be forgiven and be saved. Amen.